from the studios of Teeing It Up in those great swamps of Jersey to start the 13th year of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. We welcome in for his weekly spot, Danny Flecka. Teeing It Up premiered September 24th, 2007. This is year 13. You are guest number one of calendar year 13 of the show. It's uh, a long time. It's funny to realize that we were in college that long ago. Yes. And that I've been doing this damn thing for that long. Hey, God bless, man. Stay with it. <laughs> yes. That's some interesting experiences, taking it around the world. And uh, more more good times to come. You haven't been on the show in a couple of weeks because you've been traveling around the country gathering ideas on how to perfect the art of making a napkin. Is that accurate? Close. Close? Okay. Oh, it was paper towels, not napkins. Well, it could be transferable depending on the size of the napkin. Okay, there you go. All right. No, in all seriousness, you've been out. Now you're back. I was out. Now I'm back. Um, which means I get to actually do a Sunday fantasy and regular football preview show on a Sunday instead of on Wednesday like I did it last week. Uh, but yes, this is September 25th, 2019, under sunny skies. Daniel Jones got a shot and had a whole lot of moxie while doing it. Um, as a Giant fan, when you sat there on Sunday expectations coming in and did he live up to them yeah i'd say he exceeded my expectations of what i thought was going to happen in the first game um you know my thought process behind the whole uh series of events that took place last week was leaving that buffalo game i just was frustrated watching that team it, it they are you know in week two and week one it just seemed like they were flat. It seemed like the playbook that they had and was rolling out there were li- was limited. They weren't taking advantage of, you know, whatever it is they could take advantage of, you know. And, and all credit to Eli. You know, he's done his best the last couple of years. But you could tell that his arm strength is down, his confidence in the throws that he was making is down. Um, he's not able to maneuver the pocket. The ball security is loose. Um, and, and they were just taking too many sacks. And I guess the whole argument of the offensive line, et cetera. But, you know, there comes a point in time where, as a player, you need to be able to make up for some of the deficiencies of your team. And Eli, at this point in, in time, isn't able to do that. And when the switch came through, I that, you know, leaving that Buffalo game, the Giants drastically different. And, you know, given the state of their roster, there's not really much else you can do but make that change. So my expectations were going in there was, you know, let's see what kind of plays they run. Let's see what kind of, you know, confidence they have in him. Are they going to take some deep shots? Are they going to, you know, get him out of the pocket, move him around a bit, use his legs, his mobility, and, you know, go from there. And, you know, they did that. And he did that situation. You know, he had a nice TD run uh, to open up the score on an RPO. Uh, made a couple of really, really nice throws down, you know, down the field and, uh, you know, some pinpoint throws like he did this show. Um, and, you know, for me, the exciting part was he maneuvered the pocket and he extended plays. You know, he had a, a, one of my favorite throws that he made was in the third quarter was that deep ball to Darius Slayton, you know, in the middle of the field where he 
when you were in the pocket to the left, was able to set his feet again and then throw the ball 40 yards downfield on target. And that was an exciting play for me, seeing someone that could do that, you know, throw the ball down the field and um, not be phased by the pressure because, you know, Tampa Bay was bringing it all game. So my expectations were low. I just wanted to see what type of offense they would be with him in there. And, you know, hopefully this is a little bit of a preview of everything else that he can do. But, you know, the Giants still face an uphill battle, you know, losing Saquon and still having a diminished receiving core and just a terrible defense. What's, uh, what's, what's, your, what's the best case scenario? What do you want to see from here on out? Just this continued growth, you know. Uh, these rookies and these second-year players at times, they, you know, except if you're Patrick Mahomes, tend to hit a wall, you know, when defenses come around and figure things out a bit. You know, my... my hope for him is that he just continues to grow. He limits his mistakes. You know, he did have a, a fumble, which was, you know, a little bit inexcusable. He can't have that, but he just needs to learn how to progress throughout a game. You know, we saw him in this situation where he had to come from behind. You know, how is he going to play with the lead? How is he going to play when the game is tied? How is he going to, you know, handle, you know, blitzes left and right? Because, you know, Tampa Bay, I think I saw pressure on 56% of his dropbacks. And there's still a lot of good defenses left on this schedule. So this is continued maturation, making sure that he's making the right reads, the right calls, you know, getting the ball down the field, sustaining drives. Um, you know, that's really all I'm looking for is just trying to take, you know, one of those proverbial steps, you know, each and every single game to get him to the point where the Giants can confidently say, you know, this is our guy, we can build around him now, and we're settled. So I think that's what they hope for at least. Um, you know, we can't have any more drafts where they're, going in, building around, you know, the, the quote-unquote, you know, Eli legacy, this has got to be a new chapter and a new beginning for this franchise, and, and it looks like it can be that, but again, I'm going to hold my breath and wait and see what happens, because that was week, that was game one of what should hopefully be many, and, you know, if, if that's the skill that he's going to bring continuously until he can't anymore, then, you know, the Giants need to take advantage of that window while they can. Absolutely. All right, um... Danny, I was flying and I flew back and I got a nice Uber driver at the airport and uh, I took a look down at the score and decided, yeah, I'm not going to pay much attention to this Pats Jets game. Um, is the Luke Falk era, era over in the NFL? Is that his last throw? I think it looks like that, right? They, uh, they cut David Fales and uh, they. Look like they're going to have Sam Darnold back for week five. Yeah, but I'm saying even bigger than that is is this Sam is this Luke Falk's last ever throw in the NFL? Most likely. I mean, you, you hope so. I mean, as a Jets fan, you don't want him back in there. No, uh, it was not effective. But, but he's uh, he was definitely overmatched, and, and I think we all saw that coming given the, the team he was facing. Yeah. Um, also, I I love the fact that um, that that Tom Brady is now questionable for every game with the calf industry uh, in in injury. Isn't that now a uh, whole new tradition? Oh, it was his shoulder for like a number of years. If you remember, he was on the injury report. I think like a hundred straight weeks with like a shoulder injury. So it could be just a. You know, they're picking back up with that and just having him uh, have a sh- uh, calf injury this time instead. Maybe um, that that's just such a quirky tr- uh, tradition. Where do you view this Jets team right now? Because from my view, 
Le'Veon Bell's been the whole offense. You lose you lose Quincy and Nunwa. A bunch of defenders are suspended or injured, including C.J. Mosley. The Pats are much better. You now go into this week four bye. You get you look at this Jets team and this defense, and, and, and you lose all these players. Now you hopefully get them back, but the schedule's a gauntlet. The Cowboys need to pick off every possible win they can get, Danny. And it just seems to me that this is a Jet team that's bound for some kind of 3-13, and 4-12 and 12 season. They've lost too many pieces for too long a period. I don't know how you bounce back from this entry year. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a tough sled for sledding for them moving forward. You know, again, I think the most positive thing you can hope for if you're a Jets fan and the front office is, again, like seeing how Sam Darnold handles the initial adversity he faced this off this season with, uh, you know, that loss to Buffalo and his injury, his quote-unquote injury, and how he got all and you know, if they're able to produce some games that, you know, allow them to win or, you know, keep things close. I just think it's about building blocks for a lot of these teams now. I know it's only the fourth week of the season, but we're starting to see the cream rise to the top already, and it's just the way the NFL works sometimes. And you just got to be able to know that you have a building building blocks in place, and you can move forward from there. So for the Jets, it's, you know, do we have the skill set um, of, a, of a good quarterback, and do we have skill players to complement him? So you know. They still have a shot, you know, there's no saying they don't, but it's just going to be tough for them to get to where they need to get to unless Sam Darnold can, can make that step. Yes, and they need a passing game to offset Le'Veon Bell, and they need Bilal Powell to do what Bilal Powell does, and he's been inactive in too many games. Your NFL thoughts on the whole after three weeks, besides the fact that we've had some major quarterbacks go down here, um, and Roethlisberger and Breeze among them. Yeah, it's been an interesting start to the season. You know, some teams I thought could be pretty good, like the Packers and the Vikings are, are starting to flex their muscle a little bit with strong defenses but mediocre offenses. So, yeah, I think it's like the first time in a long time where we see that some defenses are a little bit ahead of where the offenses should be, even though there's still a lot of offensive output. They've come against the bottom barrel of the league. Um, so, you know, you have your teams like the Vikings, the Bears, the Packers, the Patriots, and the Rams, who are starting to exhibit really good defenses. And the offenses of teams we thought that would be really good, like the Falcons, the, you know, the Packers going back after them, the Bears haven't taken that next step, even though they beat the crap out of Washington. Uh, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. You know, it's one of these offenses of these teams that are have that have distributed, um, you know, good defensive performances going to catch up a bit to allow them to be like real contenders. Because right now, top looks to be in really good shape. To me, what's been interesting, and, and you look at all these, these these passing stats that have gone through the roof, um, is that. Uh, I am a firm believer in two things. I think the Saints are going to be fine without Drew Brees during this sequence because I think Teddy Bridgewater can manage it enough with Alvin Kamara and all the playmakers. And number two, the fact that Patrick Mahomes is still that tough to figure out even after all this stuff and the fact that he is now in a situation where his no-look passes 
are more than just an internet sensation. They are a legitimate tool that nobody can prevent. And it fools defenders because you don't know which way to look because he could throw, you know, all the way across his body suddenly. It's out of nowhere. But the fact that the Chiefs have just rolled and, and just run off with this offense in all these weeks and the Cowboys with Dak Prescott clearly trying to get this contract ASAP. Those guys just rolling has just has just been really impressive. Yeah, and I think it's important to note too some of what we're seeing, you know, based off of this offensive production. You know, the Cowboys doesn't gonna take away from them, but have played the Giants, Dolphins, and Redskins, and the Chiefs have played the Raiders and the Ravens. Who, despite historical evidence their defense this year isn't as well off as they have been in years past. So it's going to be interesting when these teams go up against higher level competition and go against better defenses. And, you know, we're going to see some of that coming up pretty soon. You know, I know the Cowboys have a, have a date with the Packers, not too, not in the too dear uh, distant future. Um, the Saints got to play the Bears, you know. So we're going to have some very interesting matchups here. Yeah, they're going to go a long way to determining, you know, where we're going to be come, you know, January. But you, you hope that as a fan of those teams, that their offensive production is just like the tipping point, that they're just starting to get into a groove and that they're they're figuring out their identity. But like I said, I think what we're seeing very quickly this year is that the cream rising to the top with certain teams and, and the, the bottom half of the league just can't keep up and – you know, it, it's unfortunate because it does make for some non-competitive games. But, you know, when those teams do get together and play each other, we're going to be in for some really, really exciting games. Absolutely. All right. You're a Notre Dame fan. I watched a lot of that Georgia-Notre Dame uh, game last Saturday night. I was impressed with how Notre Dame, how long Notre Dame was able to stay with, um, with Georgia they were able to get up fast and get moving fast, which is big. you got to be able to keep yourself in the game in the first quarter against some of these big teams, especially in a hostile environment like it was down there between the Hedges and Athens. As a Notre Dame fan and then just as a general college football fan, what was your thoughts on that mega matchup? It was disappointing the way they came out in the second half that they're dominating in the first half. I thought their play selection got a little too conservative. And, you know, when they opened things back up again in the fourth quarter, they were able to get the ball moving a little bit. But by then it was a little too late because Georgia had had come down on them really, really hard. You know, as a fan, you know, I was just disappointed with that. I just hate when coaches get so conservative when they're supposed to be these offensive wizards and understand game game flow and gameplay and and Notre Dame took a back seat and you know wasn't able to catch back up and it was just too much too late for them at the end of the day you know overall in college football I I think you're seeing the same thing that you see in the NFL right the top teams are going to be the top teams for most of the year until they play each other so you know we we are got to circle our calendars for those dates where we have you know Alabama LSU or Georgia LSU, you know, the Notre Dame versus Georgia games, you know, they have Michigan, but I don't know how good Michigan's going to be when they play them. But, you know, it's one of those things where these teams are are good for a reason, and when they play inferior competition, they take advantage of it. Um, And 
a lot of times those advantages come with benching players and letting them stay healthy and not putting them in harm's way. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know if there are any big games this week, um, but you know, we got to circle our calendars for those big games when they come up because I think they're going to be far and few between this year. Yes, and they may decide. I mean, there's probably a fairly small number of teams that can get in the way of Clemson, Alabama, and if one of them falls, one of the, the teams that, that um, have a chance runs into problems, uh, you, you could uh, see, some, uh, see some interesting movement there if a key injury happens where it is clearly going to be Clemson, Alabama come January for the 28th consecutive year. Uh, playing for a national title. We're talking with Danny Fleckie here on Teeing It Up. All right, we're a week away from postseason baseball. The Yankees get Luis Severino back, and he looks like himself. It's been really impressive the way he's come back. How do you analyze our Yankees as you look at the playoffs? That's it. You know, is he going to be the in that machine that keeps it rolling? Um, you know, the, the Yankees just have all year been battling through injuries and DL stints and finding ways to win. Um, you know, Sanchez is out, but apparently he's going to be back. Edwin's going to be back on Friday. Torres got back in the lineup early this week. Sevies looks good. You know, now is it going to all come together? Are these players going to be able to maintain that level of play that they've been able to do throughout the regular season? So. I think it's just going to be interesting to see how it all meshes together, what Aaron Boone's lineup are going to look like, what the strategy is going to be with their pitchers. You know, are they going to go to the pin early? Are they going to look to maybe mix and match? Um, are they going to start relievers and maybe save some of those arms, you know, for later in the series, you know, depending on where they're at? Uh, you know, who are they going to be playing? You know, right now it's still up in the air, you know, where they're going to be seated and, uh, what, what those matches will look like right now with the Twins, but who knows. So, you know, I'm just looking for them to stay stay on that same level and, and get through that first round because I think the AL is, is a, going to be a tough, tough road for any team this year. I think the Twins, the Astros, and, you know, the Rays or Indians really present some issues for them. So I'm hoping that they just are able to lock things down, get good pitching performances, and take advantage of their, their home field when they have it. To me, uh, when you look at this Yankee rotation and this Yankee pitching staff losing Domingo Herman um, because of this domestic violence charge for the entire postseason really throws a wrench because they could have put him in a long reliever role because of his innings limit or could have started him. You now lose an important arm in that rotation. Um, obviously, it's for the right reasons he should not be playing uh, while he is under while this investigation is ongoing. But it does complicate things for the Yankees. Yeah, in a, in a sense, but I think that the players that they have that are going to be on that roster are the right players for this time. You know, moving CC to the pen is the right move. I don't know what they're going to do with Jordan Montgomery or not. You know, you have Jay Hat that could be another arm out of that pen. Not to mention Adovino, Chad Green, um, and, and Chapman. You know, they, they have a solid group there. So I think that the players they have are the right players for what it is they need to do. I think I'm more interested on their positional side. What it is they're going to do to get people at bat that I know is 
Urshela going to be the starting third baseman? Or is Lemayhew going to be the starting third baseman? You know, is Stanton going to get every day at bat? You know, what does Edwin's role look like in there? What does Voight's role look like in there? So I think I'm more interested in that because I think that at the end, if you can hopefully outplug your opponent, it doesn't really matter where your pitchers line up as far as their production is concerned. But we see in the postseason all the time, you just need a couple of nice pitching performances to keep your keep your team in the game. And, you know, you're hoping that the Yankees are able to do that at least three times in the first round, four times in the second round, and four times in the World Series. So. Uh, quickly, Sabathia as a reliever, he's been inconsistent as a starter. You thought he wouldn't make the rotation as a starter. Gets a beautiful ceremony for him over the weekend. If you have not seen that video, folks, go watch it. It's on the official MLB YouTube, the entire 20-minute ceremony. Um, it was just absolutely gorgeous. Um, how do you see CC? Um, as a reliever, I think he, he, he could be very effective if he feels good, has the right amount of warm-up, and is put in the right spots like he was last night um, against two lefties. Exactly. I think it's just utilizing him where you need to utilize him. It's making sure that he's got some matchups and making sure that he's not going through rotations more than once. Uh, so making sure that you know when he's coming in, he's facing... As many batters as he needs to face, but isn't overexerting himself because you probably need him, you know, three or four times in, in a series. So I think he's a, a vital piece for them, not only from, you know, a matchup standpoint, but he provides a lot of leadership and stability for them. And he has always come through in the postseason, no matter what team he's been on. We hope he has one more run in him that gets them to where they need to get to. And that could be, and to that point, his regular season wasn't spectacular. He ended up on the DL, sorry, the IL a couple times. But he could be a crucial piece, and what a way to end his career. Uh, because, you know, we're so used to Yankee World Series ending with Mariano Rivera on the mound. It's going to be a, a Chapman this time, most likely. But wouldn't it be fitting if one of the last pieces of that 9 team. I think Brett Gardner is the other last piece from that team. If if that piece on his way out is a crucial way, uh, sorry, plays a crucial part on the way out, it would be very fitting. Yeah, and you know, given CC's history with that team and everything else, you know, the one thing that you know you're going to get from him, and I don't think I've ever seen him not do this in a Yankee uniform, is he's going to give you everything he has, regardless of the situation, regardless of, of what he has available as far as his skill set's concerned. So you have to trust that when he goes out there, he's going to give you all that he can and do what his job is for that night. And that makes me, as a Yankee fan, comfortable knowing that he knows exactly what he needs to do and he's never going to shy away from, from a, a tough situation. So... He just, again, like I said, hope that he has a couple more innings left in him to, to get the Yankees to where they need to get to. And I would not be surprised if he has one or two games, especially early on in that postseason, where he comes through as that guy that holds the lead, uh, you know, keeps the lead, keeps the game from getting out of hand, whatever it might be. You know, he has that sort of presence, and I, I, it'd be nice to see him go out with the ring. Yes, I, I am with you 1,000%, and it's... Um, I, I think to, to the leadership quality part, I think the fact that there's mutual interest on both sides for him to stay with the Yankees in some kind of front office role or some kind of mentoring role says everything you need to know about what the Yankees think of CC Sabathia 
because the fact that they're already talking about him staying with the organization speaks volumes. It's because it's September and they're still since they're already talking about 2020. So yeah, that it's been a one of the best free agent signings in the Captain era for sure. Oh, by far, yes. Although there's been a bunch this year that rival it, but but if they win the World Series, but yes, he's been um, through this entire run, just first class all the way. Um, anyway, uh, I have no idea how much time you have. I forgot to ask. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we say adios? Nope, I'm good. All righty, that's Danny Flecka. I'm Jeremy Schilling. Thank you for kicking off your 13 of teeing it up. We will see you on Sunday for the Sunday Sprint Fantasy Gambling stuff. Have a good night, everybody, and thank you all for listening.